Hey guys, what are you doing this summer? Is it playing football? Is it playing football in your garden? Is it playing with the team? Listen, come over to London because we've got the in-residence program. Um, we've got a few spots left for our in-residence summer program where we select a few players to come train with us in London at the Train Effective House. If you're interested, make sure you DM us on Instagram so we can send you an itinerary with all the details. All right, let's get into the podcast. That, that lad um, is Welsh international, very wealthy footballer and still asks for help. So I think that's the, that's the key message really is that is that a lot of athletes um, are in a real pressure environment, particularly being a man. That that um, have you heard of the word emotional intelligence before? Okay, so in in um, in the UK culture, we have something called IQ, which is your ability to be intelligent at school, mm-hmm. and then there's something called EQ, which is your ability to be intelligent with your emotions. Yeah, so the relationship you have with yourself and then the relationship you have with other people. Yeah? What, so, what was the story, Steve, with like that player in particular? Johnny, that's Johnny Williams? Yeah. So what, like, why was he, what was he upset about? Because I haven't watched that. No, yeah, sure. Injured, what, like, what was he upset about? Um, it was, well, he kept coming back from injury. So that was the first thing. Yeah. And most players that I see, if they keep coming back from injury, we're just starting all over again. So when people talk about the luck you need in sport, you need luck with your body, you need luck with your genetics and your genes. Um, you need you need to make your own luck, but there's definitely a, there's definitely some players that become more injury prone than others, like the luck involved. And he was he was just on loan, so he was missing home. He was living on his own. He was quite lonely off the pitch, um, and all of the things that the fans wouldn't really see, the reality. You know, when you came in today here, I asked you how your work, your life is out of work, right? Because you've got stuff going on as the guy called Nick, not Nick from Train Effective. So really, a lot of my work that I do. So I was with four, I had four clients on Skype or FaceTime last night, and I give them the choice in every session that I speak to them one to one, whether they want to talk about personal or professional, as in their football, or both. Yeah, and honestly, it's a, it's a complete mix every, in every session. Every 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 one to one's completely different. The player I'm dealing with at the moment is injured. Um, one of the one of the new era guys from Bristol City, so he he's injured. So he doesn't want to talk about anything performance. He just wants to share how he's feeling. He's feeling a bit isolated at the moment because he's injured. The manager hasn't spoke to him this week. His teammates are ribbing him because he's still injured again. You know, and this ban- have you heard of the word banter? Banter. Yeah. Stop making mistakes ever. Am I on a frame, by the way? Yeah, oh, yeah. So yeah, no, you're good. No, no, you're good. Yeah. So to just really just trying. Yeah. So banter's like fun, but some people don't sometimes don't see it as fun. So he's saying that he's struggling to build relationships in the football club. Yeah, because um, he's you know he, he actually described uh, one of the players I work with described himself as, as socially awkward, which I found fascinating. Because when, when you go to like a football environment, especially professional footballers, yeah. top class, you see many of them, you come in the dressing room, everyone seems very open and friendly, and you're supposed to be like that laddish yeah. guy, Man. make jokes, banter. Yeah. But I think for any player going to a new team, it's like for most, it's very hard. Yeah. It's, 
you can you can put on the front and it looks like everything's kind of good it's okay you're happy but i, I think deep inside you're like i gotta make a good impression here mm. i gotta i gotta be one of the, the guys right a little fit and the pressure is as well in in the uk game that um footballers and i said this on a social media tweet last week prepare for 95 percent of their week and perform for five percent Whereas most people in work in normal jobs perform for 95% and prepare for 5%. So football is like a, a really difficult industry where people don't understand that you're performing for such a short time but you're preparing all that, all that week. And that 5% that you're performing for, the fans who pay their money are expected to see you be 10 out of 10 technically, 10 out of 10 tactically, 10 out of 10 physically and 10 out of 10 psychologically. Now, Abba, some days, you know, when you wake up and you're just not feeling it, mm-hmm. yeah? Footballers yeah. can't have those days. They have to be 10 out of 10 on that day that they're playing that game. And obviously, supporters pay their money, but don't realise that they are actually just dealing with people just like you and me that have the same fears and the same worries and the same um, anxieties towards performing. Um, and some players... And we've also got to look at the genetic aspect. Do you know what you mean by genetics, genes? So it runs in your family? Yeah, yeah. So it, there's, there's genetics of cancer, there's genetics of Alzheimer's disease, there's genetics of anxiety. So people have anxiety running through their family. So a lot of players, some are really anxious before games and some are fine. You know, so I deal with a lot of players that I, I, I think have genetic anxiety. Does that make sense? And I think as a, as a footballer, a top elite sportsman, <laughs> Like that, like anxiety is a huge thing because you always have pressure, right? Of course. Just, yeah. So, yeah. are there really, in all the footballers you work with, are there players that are just extremely anxious? Like, yeah. More Some than, more than others? I've got two of them that ring me at 10 30 before every match down on Saturday morning mm. when they're doing their, their walk and then they have panic attacks. They're having panic attacks. Close. We're not far away. So, the work that we're doing with them is reframing. When I mean reframing, um, re-seeing anxiety and trying to reframe it as excitement. Now, what actually happens in your body when you're having anxiety, this is crazy, it's good for everyone to know, exactly the same physiology as excitement. Really? Exactly the same. What do you mean by physiology? Like well, well, your neurobiology, the feeling that you get, the sensations that you get, the stuff, um, the, you know, the, the butterflies in your stomach. That type of feeling, mm-hmm. your body's a bit tense. But when you're anxious and when you're excited, when you're excited, you get the butterflies. Mm-hmm. When you're excited, you get that tense feeling. When you're excited, you get that little bit of dry mouth. So reframing anxiety and trying to reframe it as excitement is one of the, one of the biggest things I do with players. Trying to actually say to me, do you know what, I'm excited. Because every player that gets, you know the, the players that are having extreme anxiety, when they actually get to playing, they're fine. Yeah, so when they're playing, they're not, they're not anxious when they're playing. It's just the stress and the build up. It's like 95% of the time when they're not playing or training. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, because like, I'd experience the same thing, and maybe I wouldn't have panic attacks or whatever, but constantly in your mind, you'd be thinking about training, thinking about, oh, I've got a game on the weekend, yeah. I've got to perform. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like all the time. But do you ever have that ever? Because remember when we talked on the phone before you came here, you are like, oh, I'm pretty confident, mentally I'm pretty strong. 
Right, Steve, Steve's just giving two examples there of top-level professional footballers that have panic attacks or close to panic attacks before playing. But do you ever get that feeling? Yeah, sometimes uh, during the week when I when I train bad, mm. that's when I, I get like this feeling and panic that I'm not gonna perform well. Mm. But sometimes when I train really well through the week, when when it comes game time, I I don't panic. I I was confident and I was okay. So there's a link. There's a link to you training well, mm-hmm. to you performing well. Yes. A psychological link as well as a physical link. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Both. So yeah, psychological meaning your mind, and then physical meaning how you feel. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting, because we talk about in 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 elite sport, we talk about the light bulb. Yeah. So elite footballers can't just turn on a light bulb. Yeah, and expect to perform well. So we having we have a saying: failing to prepare is preparing to fail. So if you don't train hard in the week, then you're not just going to be able to turn on the light bulb on a match day and just go right. I'm performing now. Right. Right. So preparation is is key. You know. Um, are you aware of the four corner model? Technical, tactical, physical, psychological. But what is that? Right. Okay. You're like no. You're like you're like this. Okay. So we grade footballers mm-hmm. in the UK on four corners. So it break the reason we do that because it breaks it down to much more simple simple way. So we so instead of saying Abba, you played really well today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what did you do well? What did you do badly? Oh, you played well. What you know? My argument is what is playing well. It's very vague, isn't it? It's very grey. Mm-hmm. So we need to get to a level in elite sport where things become black and white. We're completely clear that we have glasses on and we can see. <laughs> so the four corner model is your technical performance, mm-hmm. as in your ability to receive the ball, mm-hmm. uh, pass the ball, yes, mm-hmm. your technical ability on the ball, mm-hmm. your tactical ability, mm-hmm. so what you do in possession when your team have it, and what you do out of possession, mm-hmm. yes, and then physically is looking at your high intensity sprint data, mm-hmm. how hard you sprint, what is your distance covered, mm-hmm. and then psychologically is looking at your confidence, your communication, um, looking at your self-talk when you're on the pitch, mm-hmm. looking at your ability to cope with failure in the game and how you, how you overcome those things. So when we have conversations with players, mm-hmm. it's not just, oh, how did you do today? We say, how do you think you did in your tactical part of your game today? How do you think you did in your technical part of your game today? How did you think you overcome from bad passes or going 1-0 down or going 2-0 down? How did you cope? And then physically, how did you feel in terms of all of the data that we use? Because in professional football, we're using numbers. Mm-hmm. So now I don't say, oh, Abba just worked hard today. I've got, no, I've got, I've got computers mm-hmm. saying with my eyes, are real or not? Because you might not work hard. I might, to see, I might think you've worked hard. And when we're dealing with elite players, we can't say things like, I think. I think they worked hard. Yeah, because we're dealing with the best players in the country. So we have to use the data, use my eyes and use the data to say how far did they run, what was the distance covered, um, et cetera, et cetera. So most players who are running over 11 kilometres a game uh, in certain positions. Um, so have you got any questions for me? Um, so what is, what is like the best 
the best thing to to prepare for a match or anything. Um, do you know what? That's entirely personal. How you prepare mm -hmm. is not how I would prepare. Now there are yeses and noes. Obviously, sleep is going to be massively important. Mm -hmm. Your pre-match routine is going to be hugely important. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> what you eat, mm -hmm. when you eat. Mm -hmm. So, if, if you have tea or coffee, but by the way, do you want do you want milk or sugar? Uh, I have a dash of milk, mate. Yeah, because yeah. the build it's called builders tea in the UK. Yeah. Um, so we will. Yeah, you would eat th uh, three hours before kickoff. Yeah, so if the professionals have a game at three o'clock, they will eat their pre-match meal at 12 o'clock and they will eat things like pasta, baked beans, chicken, vegetables. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of the routine for, for um, everybody, my, my answer is everybody's different. Some players want to be on their own. Some players want to listen to music. Some players want to talk. Yeah, so get, finding your own headspace would be the biggest thing I could probably say to you. Now, in terms of getting yourself physically prepared, have you got a foam roller? Mm -hmm, yes. Yes? Yeah. So foam roller, very, very important. Making sure that you're, you know, before you go out and actually do your warm-up, mm -hmm. 40 minutes before kickoff. That you that you make sure that you roll your body, your hamstrings, yeah, your quads, and all of your calves and your back to make sure that thank you that you're going to be in a really good place to perform. Um, so that yeah that that's really important in terms of your, you know, I, I think as well. You you tell me what's the favourite way for you to prepare for a game. Mm, first thing I do is uh, I wake up in the morning, try to get breakfast. Yeah. After breakfast, I just go back to my room, just chill, stretch, Hi. and lunch, like two or three hours. Yeah. Uh, I eat lunch, then before one hour, before kickoff of one hour, yep. I went and stretch, stretch and get ready. Then after like 45 minutes, start warming up on the pitch. Yeah. So if the kickoff, what time is your kickoff normally back home? Two o'clock. Two thirty. Okay. Two thirty most kickoffs. So what time will you have your pre match normally? Pre like at home, will you have that at home? Um, or will you meet as a team to have that? We meet as a team. Okay. So you eat you eat together? Uh sometime but not all the time. Right. So you most of the time will eat at home? Mm hmm Yeah. I mean I'm in campus so Oh okay, right, I see. Uh, yeah, campus, yeah. Yeah. So you'll eat at about around eleven thirty. Yeah, eleven thirteen. Latest twelve. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And what time do you go to bed the night before? Around ten thirty or eleven. Okay. Yeah. All right. And is that what about? Because this is a good question. In terms of, um, in terms of your non-games, if you've got training, what mm -hmm. time will you normally go to bed? Same time. Same. It, it depends. Uh, okay. If we have a morning training around like six, uh, we train morning session around seven thirty. Because of the heat. Or the why? Why so early? Uh, sometimes we just train, uh, 7.30 kick, uh, training Thursday. Yep. And sometime, I mean, just one time a week. So the other time we train afternoons. Right. So sometime when we train in the early morning, I try to sleep around 10 or 11. Okay. Same time, but the other time I just sleep around whenever I'm free. 
around latest 12, 12.30. Okay. Yeah. So I'm thinking around, um, there's something I'm going to introduce you to called core values. Right, probably probably best in, in terms of note taking and stuff like that. I mean, I actually think it for hello. It's probably advisable that you probably do write some notes because I think that we actually use this session properly. Do you know what I mean? Like be a few things that we can come away from and, and say that that that's really helped. So core values um, is is so your pra your your practice schedule um, in football mm -hmm. is is actually quite more complex than people realise. So me telling you a training schedule is going to be very specific to your position. So tell me what your position is. Centre midfielder. Okay, so you're centre midfielder. So you need to try and get, and this is the analogy that I use, as many tools. So imagine you, you are in construction business mm -hmm. and you've got a screwdriver and a hammer and a, and a spirit level and a wrench. Mm -hmm. Your job as an elite athlete is to try and have as many tools for you to do the job as a centre midfielder as possible which will be perfect, by the way, to bring up some pictures on that analogy. Right? The, bigger, the more tools that you have in your toolbox, the more effective you're going to be as an athlete. So in terms of where football is different to other sports, is that we talk about something called open and closed skills. Open skills and sports are where the environment constantly changes. And closed skill sports are where the environment is quite fixed and doesn't change. The reason you're practicing football, for example, if we use the 10,000 hours theory, mm -hmm. you could do 10,000 hours of practice of football, but the problem with that is, is that every game, is the variables of the game are so different. You're playing against different players every week on different surfaces with different climate and different weather conditions, and you're playing with all sorts of variables that you can't control. For example, if you play the piano, the piano doesn't move, the keys are exactly the same size. If you play the violin, everything is exactly the same all of the time. So it's much easier statistically to get greatness from closed skills like piano. Um, and I'm trying to think of other sports really. Um, some examples of other sports where they're really closed. Uh, bowling? Yeah, bowling. So temping bowling is a really closed sport. The temping's all the same. I'm thinking of things like as well. Sprinting. Yeah, but it's not really involved in in. It's not really necessarily involved in in the skill acquisition aspect. So I'm thinking even tennis is far less um, open than football because the court is always the same size. You're always only playing against one opponent, and yes, that opponent is going to try and hit the ball in different parts of the court, which makes it much more complex. But football, you're playing against ten different, uh, 11 different players and 10 outfield players for 90 minutes. And therefore, the pictures change all of the time. So that links to your decision-making. And a lot of time in football, coaches are not teaching 10,000 hours of decision-making, which is a unique concept in the game. So in terms, of, in terms of you improving tactically, my advice would you to be would be to don't do something called a traffic light system. Right, traffic lights have red, they have amber, and they have green. Mm -hmm. And I would ask you, obviously, when we get a bit of time later in the day, is to grade yourself. Greens, the things that you're really strong at in terms of receiving, passing, heading, tackling. The ambers, the things that you're average at, the things that you need to develop. And the reds will be your weaknesses, the things that you're really struggling on. Now, over a, a two-year programme, 
as your coach, I'll be able to talk you through your reds, your ambers and your greens. Getting your reds to ambers over a two year period and then getting your ambers to greens. So for example, it might be that your ambers are receiving on your weaker foot and passing on your weaker foot. It might be a side foot pass, it might be a laces pass, it might be a chip pass. And then the, in the training schedule, how do we consolidate that amber and get it to a green? And then how do we keep it at green? And green, remember, are your strengths. They are the things, so we'll call them the super strengths. So let's share with the camera what you say, what are your super strengths as a, as a centre midfielder? What are, your, what are your X factor qualities? Um, for the green one, um, my strength will be uh, short passes. Okay. Short passes. And uh, some yellow. Yellow would be like um, uh, using my, my left foot. Uh, yes. Receiving and passing with my left foot. Yes. And uh, the red one would be like uh, maybe heading and using my weak foot for longer passes Okay, so, that, so that's really good. So that's a really good start, that self-awareness. Now, I haven't spoken on camera yet about the importance of self-awareness, but if people are not self-aware and you're clear on, let's say that you said you were green at five aspects and you weren't green. You were green at heading, you were green at passing, you were green at tackling. Oh, I'm a really good player, I think I'm brilliant. But actually the reality was that you weren't green. You might be amber, you might be red. We're then in a bad place as, a, as an athlete because we don't know where to start to help you improve. So it's really good that you're aware that you know what your reds are, you know what your ambers are, and you know what your greens are. But let's focus on your greens. What other super strengths? Yeah, so you, what are your X factor qualities as a centre midfield player? How would, you how would someone describe you? Um, uh, maybe... Uh... A good, a good technical passer, uh, smart player. Okay, describe, define and describe and digress on the word smart. What's a smart player? Like distributing the ball, uh, passing the ball and get it back, pass another one, pass and pass, get it, pass and get Okay, it. so the, in, in the UK and Europe game, we call that, that a continuity player. They get it, they pass it, they get it, they pass it, and they keep the team ticking mm -hmm. like a clock. Mm -hmm. Clock keeps moving, and they keep, they keep the game moving. So rhythm and tempo. So those skills are really important. Um, they're your in-possession qualities. What about your out-of-possession qualities, super strengths? So when your team hasn't got the ball, what would you say you are really good for the team at? Um, just defending. Just, uh, I, th I think you can relate other to like a Kante, like he's a workhorse. Yeah. We'll come back for the team and fight for the team, because you're a CDM, right? So yeah, CDM, yeah. Usually, so sometimes the six. Your yeah. stam stamina, stamina is good. You'll keep fighting, keep working, yeah. just like Kante, provide for your team. That yeah. Way. Yeah. So you're tenacious. Tenacious meaning you sense danger. The opposition ball goes into the forward. And you're now facing the forward and you're able to get the ball back and take it away from him. Yes, yeah, so probably the language, you're probably struggling with my language a little bit, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, it's like, it's like um, um, ball comes to you, but like ball 
So attack gets a ball. Uh-huh. Like, are you gonna anticipate and know where where the yes. attack is going, where he's gonna be? Can you sniff it, sniff, sniff the danger? Yeah. Like when you go hunting, mm-hmm. is there a bear in the woods that's about to bite you? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you you said anticipate. Do you know what anticipate means? Yeah. So yeah, you anticipate. You sense the danger. Mm-hmm. You have to. Am I correct? And you have to protect the two defenders. Yes. Centre backs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you have to protect them. Yes. What do you have to protect them from? From uh, from the striker. Of course, but what exactly? What else do you need to do? I'm challenging you here, aren't I? This is good. Yeah. This is the sort of thing that you should be getting in the USA. And you should be able to go, your role. So I'll help you. It's good, it's more detailed. Massive. So when you're playing as a protector to the two defenders, you have to be obviously able to mark your man out of possession. And you also have to stop what we call the passing lane. So the passing lane is if you can't get to the person on the ball, mm-hmm. you stand in between mm-hmm. the person they want to pass to. So it's a passing yes. lane and you stand in the way and you just block it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a key element to playing as a defensive midfield player. Because sometimes players are too far away, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't get there. So you're like, right, okay, there's the ball. There's the centre-back. And he needs to play there, so I'm just going to do that. Centre-back moves and I'm just going to do that. Yeah, just yeah, stop yeah. the passing lane. Yeah, so it's a key element to playing as playing as a number four, um, and again, I suppose my advice, laughing at me, but my advantage as having played the game is that I'm not just a mental coach. I played the game, which means I can c- connect all of the aspects of the game and then do the mental aspects as well, because a lot of my work is actually based around performance as as well as the, the mental aspects off the pitch. Right, so I think that would be that would be really important in terms of um, the psychological demands. So let's say um, let's describe a game where you you were losing one nil, mm-hmm. right? And there's half an hour to go, thirty minutes. How would you try and influence your team? Yeah, at one nil down, who's smiling? Yeah, how would you try and influence your team to get a draw? Get a one-one. Um, try to force it more uh, on the on the front. Uh, okay. Describe try. force. What do you mean by force it? Uh, let's try to get the ball more on the the box. Okay. Box. Let's so different tactics. Do you know what I mean by different tactics? Mm-hmm. So instead of playing short, you go long. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. More long balls. More long balls uh, instead of slow passing. Try, try to go faster tempo and try to play more long ball. Okay. What's the what's the hard thing for a midfield player about playing long balls? What's the most difficult aspect of the long ball game? How does it feel when ball's going from defenders to the forwards? For a midfielder? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. You've got to do more running. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Defender, place, easy, connect, short distances, defender, goes forward, get on the end of it, yeah? yeah. A lot harder, isn't it, physically. So therefore, as, a, as an athlete, when we talk about technical, tactical, physical and psychological, the great players are able to be 10 out of 10 
in most aspects because they are able, if the manager changes the tactics, yes, mm -hmm. to go from short to long, they're able to physically be able to do that role as well. Right, and that's what the great players, particularly Roy Keane as an example, he's an ex-Manchester United captain, was able to do all, of, all aspects of a midfielder. He wasn't just a Kante. He was a Kante and a Frank Lampard. An incredible, he had it, they call it an engine. So his heart. Probably the engine, probably Jordan Henderson. Henderson. Yeah, probably Liverpool captain. Yeah, he's he's obviously Jordan Henderson's England England player, so he's obviously technically good, but he's not he's not renowned. He's not in the England team. And this isn't a rude way to Jordan Henderson, I've got to be careful what I say. He's not in the England team to be technical. He's in the England team because he's reliable, psychologically reliable. He's a great team player. He's mentally very resilient. And physically, he's brilliant because out of possession, he runs and runs and runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. And runs. Not, this is not like a midfield. Well, is he? James Milner is like similar, no? Yeah, they, he's not really. A, Yes, but he has played there. Mm. James Milner's very, very reliable. Mm. Very, very reliable. So, again, psychologically, in terms of my support for players, I talk to my players a lot about how, how a reliable player behaves. A reliable player turns up on time. A reliable player is a good teammate. A reliable player is coachable to their coach. Um, you know, the best players that I work with, I talk to them all the time about asking questions to their coach. Be the, be the player that asks the most questions. Be the player that challenges the coach and says, coach, why are we doing this today? Coach, how can you make me better? Coach, what do, you, what do I need to do to improve? Because otherwise we get drift. And linking back to the 10,000 hours, because this is important, I'm really conscious that the 10,000 hours can be quite dangerous. Because if I am a bad coach and I tell you to practice something and you practice it in the wrong way, for 10,000 hours, you're then going to think you're doing it correctly, but you're not doing it correctly. And then you get conditioned, so yeah. you get conditioned to behave in this way. And then we get down the real dangerous area. You're going to love this. This is going to throw you completely called something called unlearning. But you've learned it so much. You've done it so many times, but you've done it wrong. So the 10,000 hours theory is, is important, but you're really still relying on great coaches and great teachers, the best of the best, to be able to get you to the level that you want to get to. Because that's what great teachers and coaches do. They, they tell you accurate, accurate things. Sometimes great teachers and coaches as well haven't got all the answers. No? So what other questions have you got there for the Abba? Uh, wait, uh, so since uh, I'm done with uh, my college soccer, I try to train every day. Uh, for training, like sometime, uh, I don't feel like training sometime. Okay. Uh, how can I have a stronger mentality for that? Because sometime when I wake up in the morning, I just want to take a break, a rest. Yeah. I feel like not training. How can I overcome that? That that's a fantastic question, by the way. Seriously, it's a brilliant, brilliant question. I'm gonna discuss something around core values. All right, so core values is something that um, was taken from Dave Brailsford, who 
is um, the cycling team leader that got lots of gold medals for the UK Olympic team. And he talks about core values. C stands for commitment. So your commitment to get up early, your commitment to, to be resilient, your commitment to do things when you're not feeling it, and your commitment to eating better. And then the O stands for ownership. So ownership towards your journey, ownership towards your training schedule, ownership towards your diet, ownership towards your ability to be coachable, ownership towards your ability to be a good teammate. And then the R stands for responsibility. So what responsibility are you going to take for your journey, your career and your life? <coughs> now we know that some athletes get lazy. But we also know that the best athletes don't get lazy. All right? They're committed all the time. So commitment, ownership and responsibility. And the E at the end stands for if you are committed and you do show ownership with your behaviours and you are responsible, at the end, the E stands for excellence. Right? So a lot of the time... When players come to me for, for support, elite athletes, international footballers. Do, and do, I, they, do they come to you, Steve, and say, I don't feel like training? Um, Even though they're at the top? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. yeah, sometimes. They're humans. So it's really important to normalise the work that I do. What do I mean by normalise? The people that I'm working with are normal people. They just so happen to be earning lots of money. And they just so happen to be playing in front of 60, 70, 80,000 players every week. But they have the same fears, the same worries, the same anxieties, the same concerns, the same relationship issues as, as we all do. You wouldn't believe a Premier League player called me last week and said he's having issues uh, with his partner. He's, he's not his wife, he's his partner. And they're not getting on and he feels that it's affecting his performance on the pitch. And he doesn't want to share it with anyone at the football club because he doesn't want the manager to know about it. So these types of aspects... Um, and when I say normalising, it's really important that for whatever background of, of player, whatever level you're playing at, lots of players, lots of people in the world feel the same things. What I would say is the best players that I work with are the best at using core values. They're the most committed. They show the most ownership. They turn up on time, they're never late. They eat the best food. They put their phone away at 10 o'clock without fail in the evening they, they don't have too much screen time they use social media positively not negatively they they understand the rag rating the red amber green the traffic light system they know how to develop themselves they know they know all of these aspects of what elite performance is much clearer than the less quality athletes they're, they're just clearer the rag rating again the red amber green is a key component to development for an athlete. Otherwise, I say to you, how well do you, how are you playing? I go, I, go, I think I'm okay. Well, I th you think? You can't think. You, you are. Yes, can do. So you have to say, right, I, I need to receive the ball on my back foot, left foot to play forwards. I need to work on that. I need to work on my laces passes, my longer range passes. I need to work on my passes into the wide players. I need to work on my passes into the forwards. I need to work on the amount of assists that I'm creating in a game. This, the data tells me that I'm only creating four assists a game. How can I create five assists? And that might mean that you're having conversations with your teammates and say, look, you know, you speak to a wide player and you say, look, you need, to, you need to help me out here. You need to run in different areas of the pitch. Yeah. So any more questions on that?
You sure? Yeah. You seem tired today, mate. You had a long week, yeah? Uh, yes. Lots, lots of training. Yeah, lots of training. And where were you doing that? Huh? Whereabouts? Where were you going to train with? Oh. What do you mean? Yeah, who's the physical trainer? Oh, uh, Mo. Coach Moses. We walked to our training at a rugby field that's everywhere. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like a 10 minute walk. Right. So you've been doing some lots of running? Yeah, with the ball here. Yeah? Hard work? Yes. I bet. On your own? Just you? Yeah, that's yeah. difficult. And that's tough. Yeah, sometimes you join me. Sometimes you join the uh, session. Um. I want to bring to the table. Maybe um, I have a really good follow-up question. Yeah. Like, again, just normalizing uh, Premier League footballers. So, you you talked about relationship issues. Are there any couple couple more examples you could share, maybe from the past, where again it's just like normal issues that would affect on-field performance. We off the field issues that affect on the field yeah, performance. Like oh, what, what what kind of issues? gambling. 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 Watch this space. Gambling is the biggest issue mm. um, in football. It's the biggest addiction right now because of all all of the apps. So the accessibility to gambling is is just so easy. So we have at the moment we probably have an epidemic, I believe, on its way of gambling with elite athletes that have got too much time on their hands. Mm. They train at 10.30, they finish at 1.30, they're home at 2 o'clock. They're told to rest because they need to rest. They get a bit bored, they've got nothing to do. So linking, when I was talking about holistic performance, if players, the, the best players that I know, go home and then start their charity work, they start their business, they, they you know, a lot of them have got clothing lines and hat lines. And, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, when we talk about holistic, that's the, that's the applied examples I mean. They're not just sitting there at two o'clock with their phone, looking at social media, thinking, can I place a bet? And some players are, are placing thousands, losing thousands and thousands of pounds a day um, of their hard-earned money due to, to an addiction. So that would be one. Um, other examples of off-the-field issues. Talking about relationship issues, talking about gambling. Yeah, there's a lot of, <coughs> there's a lot of fear. A lot of fear with, I'm not in the team, the managers ignored me, I felt the managers ignored me, um, I don't feel friendly with my teammates, um, I've, got, I've got mortgage problems, I'm about to get divorced. I think 70% of professional footballers, when they retire, don't quote me on this exactly, they get divorced. So that's a massive statistic, isn't it? So 70% of when they are professionals, they're still married, and when they're not professionals, they get divorced. Why is that? Well... And what, actually, maybe a better question to start with, why, why do so many get married so early as well, in relative comparison? I don't know that statistic about them getting married necessarily early, but... Don't you see that? <coughs> maybe it's just me. Yeah. Anyway, but but point is they get divorced, so why, why, like, why does that happen? Well, I, I'm only guessing is that the money stops... And lifestyle changes. So, you know, people, a lot of a lot of players, remember I'm working with the best players in the world, a lot of players are earning lots of money and it's not making them happy. I'm working with 25% of my players that are not even sure they want to carry on playing football. 25%? Probably one in four. 
I heard a bigger statistic where was it oh, who was that Tottenham player? Tottenham Arsenal player. Yeah. Um, was it David Bentley? David Bentley. Yes, he or, played or for let's both. Say a more recent example was um, I think Danny. Was it Danny, Danny Rose? Rose? Yeah. Who would say like he wouldn't be playing football unless it was for the money? I don't. Yeah. I don't know if he said that exactly. But he also said he wasn't enjoying football. Yeah. But it's just kind of a job for him. I'm I'm dealing with a with a player at the moment that's playing for Fiorentina in Italy. And it's just homesick. So homesickness is a massive, you know, linking to the the Netflix documentary of Johnny Williams. Homesick, people away from home, and and I suppose the reason I do my job, and the reason I can relate to it is because I've suffered from anxiety myself as 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 a, as a, as a um, a teenager and as an adult. I've got homesick myself. When I, when I moved from my home to London for university. And therefore, when we talk about emotional intelligence, Albert, earlier, my ability to empathise and understand people's view on the world is the biggest missing fundamental gap in football. Because football managers often, not all, often haven't got the emotional intelligence to develop the people in the building and that's why Jurgen Klopp is doing so well at Liverpool because Jurgen Klopp is truly emotionally intelligent. And the reason I know he's truly is because he shows it. How we define intelligence should be defined by our behaviour, how we behave with people. Not a PhD, not a degree, not a master's, not qualifications at school. Intelligence should be defined by how we behave because we know so many doctors have got a PhD, every doctor's got a PhD, and some are brilliant and some are rubbish. So you think Klopp is doing well at Liverpool, so well at Liverpool because in a world where where people can become as as more anxious that, uh, than ever because of social media and things that accelerate that anxiety, yeah. I guess, um, that Klopp takes an approach where it's all about emotional or EQ. First, Definitely, yeah, yeah. And that's why he's able to create an atmosphere in the team where players are not anxious, you think? I'll give you an example. I think he's got about 28 in his first team squad, okay? Yeah. Maybe more, a few more, a few less. In most teams, the players that are not playing, the substitutes, yeah. they are normally often demotivated because they're selfish thinkers. I'm not in the team, I'm not playing, so I'm not happy. How does he manage that when he plays the youth team in the FA Cup at the moment, how does he manage all of his players hug him? And they're the 12th man to the 28th man. They're not the starting 11. Every single player in his club cuddles him and touches him and they hug and they embrace. So his ability to show vulnerability is his biggest skill. His ability to show humour in interviews is his biggest skill. Remember, he's also German and he speaks fluent English and he understands humour in a different language. So these guys, you know, Ponchettino, obviously Wenger was the main instigator of the change in, in British culture in UK football. But these guys, a lot of them obviously are from an education background as well. A lot of them haven't been top players themselves. Obviously Pep has. Um, and, but the main, my, my main message is that football knowledge is one thing. These coaches have to have great football knowledge. But their ability to have emotional intelligence to the side of that is their is their biggest quality, their biggest skill. And that, and that in fact, in my book, I mentioned he's the best. Clock. Effective fam, thanks for tuning in today. 
great chat between Abel, myself, and and Steve. Um, I just think the mental side is so important, guys. Like, you can work as much as you want on the technical side, the physical side, the tactical side, but if you got all those attributes but not the mental side, like everything else just collapses. And guys, the mental side is so important. So you know, if you got time again in the future, listen to this one more time because what Steve says is spot on. And um, I think as footballers, we can always improve and improve and improve, especially on that most important mental side. Anyway, give give it uh, give a follow to s- at Solutions Mindset at Solutions Mindset on Instagram. Um, that's Steve's uh, Instagram. He shares some good tips there, um, and looking to help as many people as possible. But anyway, guys, thank you again, and as always, stay effective. Peace.